Well, Merry Christmas. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. I know many of you are visiting. We're really, really glad that you're here with us. And so our scripture is going to be found in Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read just two verses to kind of help us frame uh, what Christmas is really all about. So now that you're all comfy in your chairs, I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you stand together for the reading of God's word this evening? So Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. So I heard about a, a young couple that gave birth to uh, their fifth son. And uh, one of their friends gave them a playpen as a baby gift. And uh, so several weeks after the birth of their fifth son, uh, the mom wrote a thank you note uh, to their friend. And she said in the thank you note, thank you so much for the playpen. I absolutely love it. I get in it about two hours a day just to keep the kids away. And all of God's mothers said, amen. Yeah. So wouldn't it be great if you could have something where you can just kind of step into and you would automatically get uh, two to three hours of peace and quiet. That would be pretty amazing. Uh, my guess is more than just moms uh, need that in a season like Christmas. You know, what's interesting about Christmas is Christmas is the time of year where, you know, all the chaos of the previous 11 months uh, kind of come to a crescendo during the Christmas season. You guys ever, you, you know what I'm talking about with that? Like, like if you've experienced financial pressure in the previous 11 months, well, it just really gets exasperated during the Christmas season. Or maybe you've experienced family conflict. And frankly, I don't know of a family who hasn't experienced family conflict. Uh, but, but, you know, when you experience the relational walls, the, the awkwardness, the tension in relationships, it just really comes to a head during the Christmas season. Or maybe you've been on social media a lot this year in the previous 11 months, and you kind of find it hard uh, to just get on there and you see all of the things that your friends are doing and it's just real easy to compare your experiences with theirs as they travel the world and you don't get to travel and as they get to do things and you don't get to do those things and so at Christmas time that just gets ramped up to a whole different level or maybe for you it's just loneliness maybe you've experienced the pain of loneliness throughout these 11 months and so during Christmas that loneliness is even more acute. Or maybe you've lost a loved one and uh, you're grieving that loss. And so that, that grieving just really rises to the surface during the Christmas season. And so all the pressures of life just seems to get amplified during the Christmas season and where you know, it really impacts people because most people spend their Christmas really coping rather than celebrating Christmas. You guys know what I'm talking about? And so the reality is if you're kind of, you know, just heavy with just the burden of the season, just the chaos, the stress, uh, the grief, the loneliness of the season, then I have really good news for you. You see, Jesus came on that first Christmas 
to bring peace. That's why he came. He came to bring us peace. In fact, that's what the angels announced when they made the announcement of the birth of the Savior to the shepherds. The angels announced, you know, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And so they're reminding us that Jesus, Jesus has come. Jesus came to bring us peace. And so in the passage that I read to you a little bit earlier, Isaiah chapter 9, it's interesting. That was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And it was written to a group of people who were in desperate search for peace. They were in conflict. They were experiencing warfare. And uh, in fact, in the first few verses of Isaiah uh, chapter 9, the the author, Isaiah, describes their condition, that they lived in gloom, that they, they were experiencing darkness and despair and brokenness in their life. And so they were really desperate for peace. And what God says to them is, I'm sending it. Let me tell you his name. And uh, we see it in Isaiah 9, 6. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now what I want to do is just kind of really focus on the one name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So when you kind of break it apart, there's obviously the word prince. And we kind of have an idea of what a prince is. It's, a, it's really a governing ruler. Right? It's, it's a governing ruler or a military commander. It's used 400 times in the Old Testament. And then you have the word peace. And really in Hebrew, that word peace is the word shalom. And it means more than just the absence of conflict. What, what peace is, is just really harmony. It's, it's, it's safety. It's well-being. It's flourishing. It's happiness. It's prosperity. And so when we talk about somebody having peace, we're really describing we're describing a circumstance where everything is as it ought to be. That's, that's shalom. It's biblical peace. And so when you put it all together, you know, what you have is Jesus is the commander of peace. He's the ruler of peace. And wherever Jesus is, everything is where it ought to be. Now, let's draw a, a line from Isaiah chapter 9 to John chapter 14. You don't have to turn there, but I'll just kind of share it with you. Jesus is having his last meal with his disciples. They have a lot invested in him. They've been following him for three years. They've left everything to follow him, and now they're being told it's coming to an end. Jesus explains to them that he's going to be arrested, he's going to be unjustly tried, and then he's going to be crucified, and he's leaving them. So obviously the disciples are really struggling with this. Jesus is simply trying to reassure them, and what he says to them is, let not your hearts be troubled. And then he begins to explain some of the particulars that he's going to go and prepare a place for them because because one day he's going to come back and take them so that they will be where he is. And then he says that in the meantime, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who will be the comforter and the guide and he will guide you into paths of righteousness. And so then Jesus' reassurance really kind of comes to a, to a, a pinnacle when he says this in verse 27, the peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now what Jesus is saying here is two things, very simply, the commander of peace wants to give you peace. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is the kind of peace that he gives is not like how the world you know, gives peace. It's not, it's not the peace of the world. Now you can, you know that there's peace that can be had in this world, right? If you were, you know, in a hammock on the beach at sunset sipping lemonade, you know, there's a certain amount of peace with that. 
if you're going to a symphony orchestra and the orchestra is just beautiful, the music's just beautiful, there's a certain amount of peace with that. Uh, but that's not the peace that Jesus is talking about. Um, his peace is really qualitatively different than the peace of the world. So what I want to do is I want to share with you three dimensions of the peace that God gives to us. There's an upward peace, there's an inward peace, and then there's an outward peace. Let's look at the first one, the upward peace. This is the vertical peace. This is the peace with God. And really, this is the most important peace because this is the peace that affects, that impacts, that touches everything else in your life. And so I know you've had this experience where you've been you know, perhaps sideways with somebody, just relationally. You know what I'm talking about? Where there's, there's just a strained relationship between you and your spouse or you and your boss or a coworker, or a neighbor or a brother or sister. And so have you noticed how that just seems to put a damper on everything? You ever experienced that? Where it seems like, you know, nothing else really matters because re your relationship here is strained. And it's like, it just robs your peace and joy. Well, you know, what I've learned is this, that nothing does that more than when you're in conflict with God. Nothing causes that more, where it just kind of throws everything off, more than conflict with God. So what is it that puts us in conflict with God? Well, in a word, sin does. Now, sin is not really a word that we like to use in our culture anymore. I don't, I don't know if you know about that. We, in our culture today, we try to avoid that word altogether because we're really drifting away from the belief that there is absolute right and wrong. Our culture's kind of abandoned that thought. And, and, then, and then certainly to talk about sin would be to imply we have agency and responsibility for our actions. So our culture's kind of leaving that behind, but it doesn't change the fact that it's still true. And so what sin does is it has this impact on us and it creates a chasm between us and God. It creates a distance between us and our creator. And so you ask, well, what is sin specifically? Well, sin really is, is just a spirit of independence. It's really just self-governance. It's really when you and I say, I don't need God. I can govern my own life. Thank you. And so when we say to God, I don't want to listen to your words because I have my words. I don't want to listen to your commands because I have my commands. I don't want to listen to the truth because I have my truth. It does something to us. It severs us from our relationship with God and it creates this chasm. And really what it is, is an act of warfare. It's an act of of rebellion. It's a revolt against God. And so what the Bible says is there's no peace in that space. There's the absence of peace because you weren't meant to live that way. That's not why the creator created you. You, you weren't made to live life disconnected from God and distant from God. But that's exactly what sin does. So, so what did God do? Well, he he knew all this and, and he decided to make the first move. He decided to take the first step to initiate reconciliation. And he did it on Christmas, the very first Christmas, by the sending of his son Jesus. So notice how Romans 5.1 says this. So it says, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
the birth that we're celebrating right now. The birth of Jesus. And what he's talking about here is we are made right with God. Not by good works, not by church attendance, not by trying really hard, not even by religion. What, what makes us right with God is faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in the Savior. And that's what reconciles us. You see, Jesus was born for us. He took on human flesh. He left heaven. He left his throne. And he took on human flesh and allowed himself to be born into this world, just like, just like we are. And then he lived his life for us. So for 33 years, he never sinned. He never told a lie. He never acted unloving or unkind. He never strayed from the Father's will. He always, he always obeyed. He, he not only was born for us, but he lived for us. He fulfilled the law perfectly, even though we haven't. He did it perfectly. And then he went all the way. He died for us. Because part of what sin does is it creates a debt. It creates a penalty that has to be paid. And, and, so, and so our rebellion against God, our conflict with God, brings about a price tag. And the Bible says it like this, that the wages of sin is death. So as God considered this, as God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit considered the problem that we had, a chasm between us and him, he came up with a solution. And the solution is he would die in our place so that we wouldn't have to. And so, you know, there are a number of world religions today that teach this concept of a peace offering. So you can trace it all the way back to Roman religions, Greek mythology, certainly. And uh, you can even trace it back to Native American uh, tribes here in North America, this, this, this concept of a peace offering. So what it, what, the way it works is you offer a gift to bring reconciliation. But the gospel is really different. The gospel says something completely different. The gospel says you don't have to offer anything because something was offered on your behalf. And what was offered was the life of Jesus given for you. Let me show this to you from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. The apostle Paul writes this. This is a stunning passage. There's so much here. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away or far off, he says. So he's, he's acknowledging the chasm between us and God have been brought near. You've been brought near to the presence of God. How? Through the blood of Christ. That baby that was born, lived, died, and rose so that we can be brought near. It says this, for he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh. Notice this phrasing, the dividing wall of hostility. Because you see, what sin did is it declared a war against God and it created a wall of hostility. His death tore that wall down. It tore it down. And so really, what we see in Christmas and what we celebrate in Christmas is this baby came to die. So you guys remember, you remember part of the Christmas story where the, the wise men come from the east and, uh, and there's probably more than three of them, but we kind of imagine just three, but there's certainly a lot of them that came. And they brought with them bearing gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I, I heard a little boy say, you know, the wise men came, they visited Jesus, and they, they brought gold, frankenstein, and myrtle. So it's kind of, kind of an interesting way to look at it. Not quite that way, but, but that's, that's kind of the thing. So, so what's the significance with the gifts? Why'd they bring those? Well, it's interesting because, you know, when you bring gold, that symbolizes royalty. 
So they were sending a very clear message to Mary and Joseph, this baby is royalty, this baby is king. But frankincense has a different connotation to it. it it's really more connected with worship and, and divinity. So, it was, so in bringing frankincense, this king should be worshipped. He's divine. The strangest of the three gifts was the gift of myrrh. Do you know what myrrh is? Myrrh is an embalming spice. You use it at funerals. You use it in burials. So this had to be a very strange gift for Mary and Joseph as they pondered the king being born to them who's divine and deserves our worship who would one day die. That's the message being sent. And so his offering of his life, his sacrifice would bring us peace with God. Upward peace. Now church, I get it. Some of you are here, you know, you're not very religious. You, you don't normally attend church, but you're just kind of doing what the family does. I get that. I understand that. Um, but let me just ask you a question. Could it be that you're missing something? Could it be that you're missing peace with God? Just in the, in the depths of your soul. And it, could it be that it's impacting everything else in your life and kind of contaminating it? Could it be possible? See, you were made to walk with God, to know God, to worship God, to be at peace with God. And so Jesus came for this, this upward peace. But secondly, he came for inward peace. So let me kind of describe it this way. So upward peace with God makes possible inward peace of God. So peace with God makes possible the peace of God. Peace with God is saving peace. It saves us from sin, hell, and death. But, but the peace of God is a living peace. It's an inner tranquility and kind of serenity. Now, we know the world has an option for this. The world teaches there are certain things that you can do to kind of have peace you know, you can visualize it, just close your eyes and kind of visualize peace. Uh, you can repeat different mantras over and over again, just kind of verbally, and that'll kind of calm you down maybe. Uh, you can just, you know, just kind of refocus your thoughts and kind of give it to positive thinking. There's certainly breathing techniques that can help you. But, but the kind of inward peace that we're talking about here, the peace of God is completely on a whole different level. Let, let me explain what I mean. Let's go back to Ephesians 2, verses 13 and 14. Paul writes this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Catch this. For he himself is our peace. Now you would think, you know, as we think about Jesus, we always imagine him proclaiming peace or making peace. We never think of him as being our peace. But that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. And so what is the peace of God? It is literally the presence of Jesus himself living inside you. That is the peace of God. It is the awareness that God is for me, that God is with me, that God is in me. And most of all, church, God loves me. God loves me. It is that awareness. When you live in that awareness, your life's forever changed. Forever changed. And so let me show you how this works practically. 
just kind of the practical working out of this every day. Uh, Roman, or not Romans, but Philippians 4, 7 says it like this. Paul writes about the peace of God. He's writing, he's writing from prison. He's chained to a Roman soldier and he's writing about the peace of God. Think about those circumstances. And he says this, the peace of God, which is really the presence of Jesus himself, which surpasses all understanding. I mean, the human mind can't even totally, can't even conceive of this is what he's saying. And then notice what it does. It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The presence of Jesus guards your mind and your heart. Now, why would your heart need to be guarded? Well, very simply, your mind and heart need to be guarded because we live in a fallen world. We, we, we live in a world where there's, there's pain and there's sin and there's brokenness and, and uh, there's warfare going on all, all around us. And so what he's saying is the very presence of God wants to guard your heart and your mind in him. You know, um, there are... 790 verses in the Bible about peace. And what I'd like to do is take the next three hours and read them all to you right now. Just kidding. I needed to wake you up just a little bit. Um, let me just kind of summarize it this way. Here's, here's kind of the best way to summarize it. For, for those of you who are ashamed and feel guilty because of something you've done, there is forgiving peace Jesus forgives for those of you who are worried and you're anxious and you're just stressed out there's a confident peace Jesus calms he says to the wind and waves be still and the wind and waves obey for those of you who have a broken heart there is a comforting peace. Jesus comforts us. And then for those of us who have a confused heart, we have questions and doubts, there is a guiding peace. Jesus is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And so the best way to say this is to say it, there's a peace for every one of our problems. And his name is Jesus. That's it. And that's really the good news. Now, there's one key here that you don't need to miss. You can't access the peace of God until you go back to having peace with God. See, the peace with God is what brings the presence of Jesus in. It's what makes that presence possible. It what, it's what makes the two one, right? And, and so peace with God leads to the peace of God. So you, you can't have one without bringing in the other. But the bottom line is whatever problem you're going through, Jesus is our peace. You just need to trust him. You need to look to him. Lastly, there's the upward peace, there's inward peace, and then there is outward peace. And so peace with God makes possible the peace of God, which then opens the door to peace with other people. You know, we're living in a very divided time. Have you noticed that? We're very divided over just politics and economics and, you know, race. I mean, our, our, our culture, our society, our world is just so divided. Do you know that Jesus came to tear down the dividing wall of hostility that exists between people today? Do you know that's part of why he came? 
is to bring peace in relationships. I heard about a little girl working on her fifth grade school project. Her father just happened to be walking by her room and she was working feverishly on this project. And he stopped by her room and said, honey, what are you working on? And she said, oh, I'm working on my project. And uh, he said, well, what project is it? And she said, well, I've got to come up with a plan to achieve world peace. And the dad was kind of like, wow, that's kind of a big project for such a sweet little girl, you know, like you. And she said, oh, don't worry, dad. I got two of my friends helping me on this. We'll, we'll get it. And so, you know, as I think about that, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine how challenging that really is for a fifth grade little girl. Uh, world peace is kind of proven quite elusive. In fact, I, I heard about the other day, you know, historians say that throughout human history, there have been 8,000 peace treaties that have been made and broken throughout human history. 8,000. What does that say about us as a people? It says we are perpetually in conflict. And so when the angels sang that first Christmas carol, they sang peace on earth and goodwill towards men. They weren't just announcing upward peace and inward peace, but they were announcing the possibility of outward peace as well, that peace with others could be possible, that um, God loved us, and so we love him. God loves us so we can love others and be at peace with others. You know, there's a story, it's a true story, it's Christmas Eve, 1870, right in the middle of the Franco-Prussian War. So you had the French in their battle positions, in their trenches, just dug in on one side. And on the other side, you had the Germans dug in their trenches after days and days and days of fighting. Both sides were at a stalemate. Christmas Eve, 1870. So not much fighting going on. But what you had is this, this uh, French soldier all of a sudden jump out of his trench and start walking towards enemy lines right over to the German side he was unarmed walked just dead straight and his buddies were like what are you doing you're gonna get shot man come back here and he just walked and walked and walked and he got to the enemy lines and he stopped and he started singing the song Noel 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 born is the king of Israel and it was just a dead silence over the whole place and then he sang the second stanza. And then he sang the third. And, and on and on this went. And then he stopped. And he turned and walked back to his side and got back in the trench. Well, the Germans weren't to be, were not going to be outdone. And a German soldier got up out of his trench, unarmed, walked over to the French side and started singing the song, Noel, 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 born is the king of Israel and something incredible happened as he was singing both sides joined in singing the chorus so it was chorus stanza chorus stanza chorus stanza and for just a few minutes the prince of peace brought peace to a battlefield isn't that amazing do, do you know that do you know that that still happens today? That Christ in you is the reconciler and the redeemer even of difficult relationships. 
That what he does by his grace and by his mercy and by the power of his Holy Spirit is he softens hard hearts so that love and peace can flow in any relationship. And so what the Prince of Peace does is he makes reconciliation possible. He makes it possible. Now, I mean, I'm realistic about this. If the Spirit of God ever led you to, I don't know, stand up out of your trench and walk behind enemy lines and extend your hand to someone that you've been estranged from in a relationship where you would say, I'm sorry, or you would say, I forgive you, or you would say, I love you, whatever the Spirit of God is leading you to do. I mean, I'm, I'm realistic to realize you may get shot down. I mean, that's still the kind of world we live in. I, I know that that's very much possible, but I do know I, I do know this, that what Jesus says, the Prince of Peace, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. I do know that. I, I do know what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 18, where he gives us some very, very practical advice. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peacefully with all. And so what he reminds us of is life is about relationships. It's really about, it, it's, it's not about making money. It's not about performing and achieving great things. And, and, so, and so, yeah, I mean, we kind of make life about those things, but that's not what really life is about. Life is about your relationship with God primary and our relationship with, the, with each other secondary. And all I know is this church, when you have peace with God, it leads to the peace of God. And then that opens the door to peace with other people. Is there someone in your life that you need to take that first step, regardless of how they respond, regardless of whether or not they deserve it. But you take that step because the Prince of Peace did that for you. And so the bottom line is this, it's all possible. It all begins with us having peace with God. That, that Jesus Christ took on human flesh that he lived the life we were supposed to live. And he stepped, he stepped out of the trenches of heaven. He walked behind enemy lines. And he didn't get shot. He got crucified for you and for me so that he could extend his arms and say, I love you. I want a relationship with you. I want you to have peace in your inner being. Church, I just want to tell you, it's possible. And the reason why it's possible is because of Christmas. And you're like, well, Scott, what do I need to do? You need to ask. You need to, you need to ask. You need to admit that you've sinned, that you've been in conflict with God. You need to ask for his forgiveness and end the conflict. And then put your faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's where the peace of God comes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We, we give you glory for your initiating steps 
that while we were still sinners, you died for us. While we were in conflict with you, you loved us, you served us, you came to us. And so God, I just pray that you would open up our eyes and our hearts, that you would you would just help us to see what life is really all about. It's about walking with you, trusting in you, knowing you, and loving other people. So thank you that you came to show us the way and the truth and the life. You are the way and the truth and the life. You came to bring us peace. You are our peace. And so, God, I thank you that you always hear the heart cry. If we would just cry out to you, you always hear, you always move, you always respond. You are mighty to save. So we just ask for your grace to do that work tonight. We entrust ourselves to you. We confess our need for you. We receive you and your peace. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen.